Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that explores the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we are going to attempt to answer the question, does fandom belong to the stands? Here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Yo. And Nick Z. Ahoy, uh, hoy. So, gentlemen, do stands rule the fandom roost? They certainly seem to, since there's uh, so much extremity of opinion out there. And it's, as I learned watching the video, the problem with blind fandom from a channel called Super Derek RPGs. It's something that a lot of fans apparently just fall into because they're not really looking that critically at their own fandom. Yeah, we've expounded a lot on criticizing the media that you consume, or at least like thinking about it, thinking critically about the media that you consume. But the angle that I hadn't thought about until you shared that video, Z, was that like there's this entire other side where somehow people come to a point where they become blind fans, where they they don't they aren't able to look at it and look at a piece of media or, or video games or whatever and examine it critically at all. And I was like, wait, that. That's fascinating and an entirely separate problem. <laughs> I, I love Chrono Trigger and there are things that I could I can pick at it that are not great. But there are probably some people who are like Final Fantasy 7 is the greatest game ever. And if you do not like that, I will come to your house and hurt you. And that's wild. That's wild that it's like, OK, how many checks did Square Enix cut you for that? <laughs> I mean, I feel like so often a lot of the a lot of the communities around these things are i'm not going to say any names just like just like an outpouring of love and everyone just kind of like piles on and and like just has a great time loving the thing you know post a screenshot for final fantasy 7 remake and everyone's like yeah freaking yeah this looks so good this be awesome. oh my God. so like if you're in if your brain's in that and you're just like about how much i love oh, i can't wait to see like i love cloud in the dress and like all this stuff is going on. yeah yeah and then, and then and then you're passing by someone on Twitter and they're like, mm, it was okay. Your brain goes, what? Something doesn't doesn't sound right about that. I know that there's a psychological, I, and I cannot remember the name of, of this, this mechanism in the brain, but I know that there's a psychological mechanism that it's like, hey, you have an opinion about something. Here's some contradictory evidence or, or data. And your brain, instead of going, oh, I should figure out how to assimilate this data. It actually just causes you to double down on your initial oh, yeah. thing. So I can totally understand hmm. with fandom, if you're in that space of intense love and somebody presents, here's a small criticism, here's a problem, then you as a fan could be like, no, you are wrong. and I have to, <laughs> I have to make this right in showing you how wrong you are. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, I have, I have a, a personal anecdote about this, and this is from a while ago now. This is when How I Met Your Mother was on television. My friends and I were sitting around. We were out at trivia or something like that. We were talking about How I Met Your Mother. And it's like, what do you think of it? I'm like, mm, it's like, okay. Like, I, I don't I don't love it, but it's like, it's a couple of laughs. And then the next time they brought it up, they're like, that show you hate. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think they were like super fans or anything. But that was, that's, that's what happened to that information that I put out there in their brain. That's fascinating. There's this tweet online. It was talking about something called take inflation. It wasn't intended to be super serious, I imagine, but it's so true. It's this idea that when people have a take, an opinion, whatever, and online, the only takes you see are the biggest, most awful takes because every other lesser take has been taken. You can't say, I don't like this game. You have to say this game is the worst game ever. And in your case, the take inflation was, ah, it's okay. And your friends escalated it to, well, you hate this. And I, I I, feel like it's partly because, you know, hyperbole gets a point across. 
it sure does. It is good for getting one simple point across. <laughs> you have a hyperbolic space and then like a nuanced criticism and the two can't cross. Are you aware of what happened when Jim Sterling reviewed Breath of the Wild? No. This isn't the instance where he had two media companies fighting against each other, was it? Nope, that's a different thing. Okay, sorry. Jim Sterling is known for many things. <laughs> he, is, he is in the mix a lot. All right, I'm going to read this as an article from Polygon called Let's Talk About That Bad Review of Breath of the Wild. Written March 13th, 2017 by Owen S. Good. This morning brought news that Jim Sterling, the well-known video games raconteur who definitely does not participate in groupthink, was under attack. Jim could bait someone by reading a phone book in the wrong tone of voice and everyone expects this, so dear God, what did he say this time? He gave The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild a 7 out of 10. Metacritic then folded that into whatever mumbo-jumbo informs its aggregation formula. Now the game is no longer tied for second place with three others at 98. It stands at 97, a score shared by 8 over the long skein of video games history. And people lost their minds at him. (laughs) Absolutely flipped out. He did a video just about that and showed all the comments he got. Wow. I feel like a million years ago in in internet time, there was a video with Brentel Foss and Demon Tomato Dave. Uh, It was like, what if Ocarina of Time had lyrics? And they were making fun of that whole phenomenon about, well, you only like games when when you're young. And and it's like, well, you can't say that, though, because the fans will hate you. Yeah. Or in this case, the stands will hate you. (laughs) Man, that's that is a wild and crazy story to me because it's ultimately just about a Metacritic score. It went from from being like second best game of all time to like fourth. Yeah, so that was second place, first loser. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just the amount that a person has to tie their own personal value to the, I mean, totally subjective evaluation of something that they're a fan of to get that reaction out of them is really difficult for me to fathom keeping in mind the game like just came out yeah that was maybe what five four or five days after its release something like that yeah at most two weeks everybody waiting in line at midnight and that's part of it you're already invested if you're waiting in line at midnight to get this thing i wasn't waiting in line at midnight but i had my pre-order set up and i'd add a couple bucks to it every you know every now and then yeah just to make sure be smooth sailing not going anywhere yeah and you've had that game and then you then you spend that spend that four or five days playing this game like this is the greatest thing i've ever played in my life i've been a lifelong zelda fan and this just brought it to a whole new level and then tim sterling's like yeah seven out of ten <laughs> unacceptable i mean like we've we've talked about how fandom can become a part of your identity mm-hmm. and one thing that we didn't touch on too much is and z you mentioned this before we started recording today is the role that like capitalism plays in people's fandom and it's like often people equate owning stuff with being quote a real fan of something yeah that's that's my the definition of uh competitive consumerism where you know from uh from when we're kids you know uh competition is such an important thing you know you want to be the best at spelling or the best at math or the best at video games or whatever and like once you have enough whether it's disposable or not once you have enough income to uh make your love of a thing concrete by buying all the figurines by buying a bunch of amiibos by uh you know that kind of thing it's just what you've got to do right otherwise you're not really a real fan and all that yeah and that feels precipitous it feels dangerous because uh z over there really loves legend of zelda what what do i care if he wants to spend all his money on legend of zelda merch okay that's that's cool that's that's what he wants to do that's fine But then, I don't know, the people who make The Legend of Zelda Nintendo is like, oh, hey, this game is really going well, and these people online keep talking about how they love this part and hated, I don't know, 
Princess Zelda. And they're like, cool. Let's just cut her out of this, the game next time. Let's let's give her less of a role. Because it turns out you don't... If we're talking about, like, consumerism and capitalism, you don't need money to buy things. You can just do things on credit. You can put a ha. second mortgage on your house. Yeah. Just just be up to your eyeballs in debt. Have, like, a life-size Master Chief uh, <laughs> replica in your house, even though you can't afford to eat anything other than ramen. Yeah. You can make the decision not to wait. Yeah. Coming back to the the question that you asked, geez, is fandom run, run or owned by the stands? I think to some extent it is. And that's that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly set the bar very quickly. You know, if you enter a community, uh, if you enter a fandom, you will probably be be very quickly aware of, I don't know about like the biggest name fans, but like where the bar is based on stuff that will get posted in the, in the community and, and what, you know, do you have an Optimus Prime truck? Some people, <laughs> some people do. I feel like similarly, but possibly slightly different. Several episodes back, we, we talked with Sarah Water Raven talking about furries, I believe. Yep. And maybe it's not the best example for like, oh, this is the bar that stands have set. I don't I don't think this is an example of that. But it talking about your your case where stands set the measure of things, in that community, media has set the the standard of what we expect of furries. And it's like, oh, people are like, oh, they're weird. Which as we went through that episode, I learned not really that true. Yeah. Like no. most groups, there's a subset of people. But I think there are other fandoms where stands really have set the bar. I'm trying to think of a, a good example off the top of my head. Rick and Morty. Oh yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Because that, that wasn't caused by media. Media didn't make Rick and Morty fans look ridiculous. They just shone a light on what fans already were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some fans, as, yeah. as is always the case. And it's like, would people think that anyone who likes Rick and Morty is that foolish? Had we not seen how foolish some Rick and Morty fans are? <laughs> or in particular, Rick and Morty stands are? No. We'd be like, oh, it's a TV show. It's like Adventure Time or whatever it doesn't matter yeah and and like almost but almost by definition there can't be more stands than there are fans if we're like separating those terms right they're, they're like there there have to be fewer fanatics than there are people who just like it but it like it, but, it, but if you see those stands it like their shows of devotion to the thing that they like is not a pitch or if it is a pitch it's coming from inside the bubble so it's not going to reach out. Similarly, a critic writing a review of a movie or an episode or a video game is not going to reach reach inside that bubble with like, I feel like this could have been tweaked a bit because because this was uh, this was like left a little loose or, or just like a nuanced, a nuanced critique. So it's very hard to cross the two. I think about a bunch of the times when we've talked about different fan communities and we have like loving, wonderful set of people. And then we have like group of assholes. <laughs> And, and I know that that doesn't perfectly map to like Stan and like fans, but it, it feels like that kind of argument could could apply. Like when you're talking about, and I, this has changed dramatically in a positive way, like the whole Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game community. Like there was definitely a period where it's like, you know, as, as you've mentioned numerous times, gee, beer and pretzels in a basement, like <laughs> nerdy dudes, bearded guys, probably like, well, actually this is how the rules work. So we can't do things that way. That's not exactly yeah. the kind of stand culture, but it's, it's like in that vein. And I feel like Dungeons and Dragons in particular has moved quite a ways away from that. And so it's almost like this correlation between like good fandoms, fandoms where stands don't rule the roost are ones that have realized that that kind of behavior is shitty behavior for having a community yeah and that tends to have quite a large overlap with curative fandom star wars yes 
Yes. <laughs> I forgot about Star Wars for a second. I, I did too, and it was one of the best seconds I've ever experienced in my entire <laughs> life. It's interesting how there's that connection there between stands and the curative side of fandom, because, I mean, just thinking about it for a second, it seems like, as opposed to the more creative side of fandom, you know, fandoms that are more apt to have fans who create fan art, fanfic, fan games, that kind of thing. It seems like if you're being curative about a fandom, you're really taking it into yourself in a much bigger way. Because even if you're writing fan fiction that involves no original characters at all, it's just characters from the thing you're a fan of doing things that you think maybe would be more in character for them to do than it turned out in the show or a game or books or whatever. It's still something that like is sort of separate from the, f- the thing you're a fan of as it is, even if it's based on that. It's something that's that you're making your own. I don't know that just seems a little less apt to uh, to to standness. Yeah, and one of the interesting things with the stands with the curative fandom is critique becomes curative as well. So for yeah. with, with Star Wars, for example, it didn't. It wasn't like how good a movie is this. It's how Star Warsy is it, which is based on distorted notions of what it means for a thing to be star warsy and similar things hey we also if we, we almost made 20 minutes without me mentioning doctor who but the same thing happened to doctor who oh um, so close <laughs> yeah <laughs> one day <laughs> yeah so so it's so it's not even judged on like like is this a good movie is this a good show it's like how much is it like the thing i like and sometimes when that script gets flipped the stands find themselves looking at this thing that they thought that they knew and they don't know it. It's not the thing that they thought it was. Star Warsy doesn't mean mm. Star Warsy anymore. And that's when they get mad. <laughs> that's when you get people refusing to see a Ghostbusters movie. Oh my god. Yeah, I was this is all this is all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I was thinking about all the different reboots and how people get upset about how there are changes, how there are differences. And rather than people embrace like, oh, there's a new thing related to a thing that i love whether or not it's good or not but instead people like it's not the same and therefore it's bad a mutual friend of ours was reviewing the resident evil movies having played all they they had played all the games and they knew that the movies would be bad but they still had a relatively good time watching the movies it wasn't like these movies are terrible they should not exist because they aren't like the games it's like, this is a different thing. That's fine. And actually, so many of the conversations we've had recently about, about like, these are problems in fandom are, are related to that. Yeah, they're, they're related to like, well, stands rule fandom. Stands are the most vocal, so they yeah. get to say how, how new, quote, new stuff comes out of this franchise, this property. If you really want to put a bow on it. <laughs> J.K. Rowling is coming up with a, another book. It's like, well, I hope it's like the other, other Harry Potter stuff. Uh, instead of like J.K. Rowling is a turf, yeah, right. Like, like stands are like, well, I don't care that they're a turf. I care that this isn't the Harry Potter that I grew up with, and it's like that's a problem. Here's the thing I find interesting about the Harry Potter J.K. Rowling situation. I see a lot of man, isn't it crazy that Harry Potter was written by no one, and less <laughs> of I'm not reading Harry Potter anymore. It's easier to just erase. Uh, an unpleasant truth from your mind than it is to acknowledge the the problems. Yeah, that's that's stand culture right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say all stands are bad. Uh, I mean, we have we have our frontline soldier K-pop stands like 
<laughs> taken down the establishment currently with their fan cams. <laughs> Pointed into the audience and hit it towards the stands. Wait, did you say stands? Did I? <laughs> That's going to do it uh, for us answering this question, this episode. Hopefully we, we scratched kind of the barest surface of... Uh, of, of you know, how stands and fandom interact these days. If you would like to share your opinion on the matter, please do share it with us at nickatthenickscast.com is where you can send that feedback or Phanthropological on Facebook or at Phanthropologic on Twitter to interact with the show. If you like to see what the three of us are up to, just search at the next cast anywhere on the internet and you will find us. As for the three of us individually, I'm a synth musician and make music under the name Fragile Air. You can find all of my stuff over at fragileair.bandcamp.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out the Zeal Archives, which is a podcast where every week we cover a bit of the world of Chrono Trigger. Right now, there are only two episodes left in the season as of this recording. So you can tune in for the epic conclusion of season two. What will happen to TNG and now Luca? Who knows? Maybe they're all dead. You'll just have to listen and find out. That comes out weeks opposite to Phanthropological on Thursdays. Uh, you can find it at zealarchives.com or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at zealarchives. And as for me, I am a uh, writer and translator here. And you can find what I've got out there so far in the wide, wide world over at uh, Amazon. Any Amazon of your choice, go over there and just type into the search bar Beowulf a mostly modern verse translation or you can for a little extra challenge type nsc zakarwitz and find out what comes up that's hard mode but it's worth it that's gonna do it for our show thank you so much for listening until next time we'll talk to you next time goodbye everybody begin energy transfer Huh? The war fields seem to be affected by the pendant. Did I make it back? To that moment? There might still be time. On August 8th and 9th, join me at twitch.tv slash the race against time. Join Chrono, Marl, Robo, Isla, Frog, me, Luca, and a whole cast of other folks from your world in a race against time to stop Lavos save the world of Chrono Trigger, and raise money for Trans Lifeline. Trans Lifeline is a grassroots hotline and microgrants organization offering direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis for the trans community and by the trans community. Every single cent we raise goes to them. In this year's marathon to beat Chrono Trigger 13 times, there will be giveaways, special guests, and more. Our goal is to make it back to the future and raise $2,300 for Trans Lifeline with your help. History as we know it may be changed forever. Please visit raceagainsttime.io for more information about the race or to find out how you can be a part of a future that did not refuse to change. Now, how do I get back? I guess I shouldn't have tinkered with the telepod.